Lord God, our hearts are open before you as we have been worshiping you, God, and you've brought us to this place, this time right now to just spend with you and be with you. And, and God, we will just give you everything, Lord. We give you our worship. We give you our heart and our life. And even as we open the word tonight, God, we ask that you would place your word into our hearts, God, that they may be stamped, God, that there may be an impression made like wet cement and that we would never forget, Lord, what you're saying to us. So I pray that you would transform us, God, tonight and make us more into your image, Jesus. And just by your spirit now, anoint this time and speak. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, if you can... Oh, you already did, huh? Turn to Luke 15. All right. Already there. Uh, Our title of our message is this, Rejoice When the Lost Are Found. And uh, as we get into that, isn't that true? When we find something that's lost, we're pretty happy about it. I wanted to share some things. I came across some different kind of uh, lost and found signs that were actually posted um, up in different places and people uh, took pictures and shared it and uh, just a, uh, maybe four or five things here. First, um, lost and found sign said lost kitty in big letters and then it, the right up underneath said our precious kitty Tinkerbell is lost. She purrs, loves to be stroked and if she really likes you will sit in your lap all 120 pounds of her. And then on the flyers, this picture of this mountain lion. So Tinkerbell, I guess, huh? Maybe she should stay lost. (laughs) I like this one. It says, have you seen Colin, our pet cockroach, Colin? And on the flyers, had a picture of the cockroach that actual size has been missing over a week. We think come, uh, we think uh, because or Colin left because of excess COVID hygiene protocols in our kitchen. Substantial cash reward. (laughs) A little bit crazy there. Another one I saw is, is this your cat? This is a found one. Uh, And there's a picture of this nice cat. And then underneath it says, he's trying to move into our house. (laughs) And there's a number after that. I like this one a lot. It said, missing in big letters, and underneath it said, puzzle piece. (laughs) And it said, it's the final piece, and I've looked everywhere. (laughs) I think we're missing one too, yeah, (laughs) somewhere. Last one, this one was a little crazy. said, found alligator. I had a picture of alligator. Found alligator in our pool since last Friday. Seems friendly-ish. Loves junk food, no collar or tag, comes when called, five feet, six inches, we've run out of hot dogs. (laughs) Please come and get him. (laughs) He's going to eat us, oh no. Well, normally, it's a happy occasion when what you lost is found. Well, tonight in our passage in Luke, Jesus tells us there's joy in heaven whenever one who has lost in sin is found with salvation in Jesus Christ. So Jesus actually is teaching the Pharisees this, to rejoice when the lost are found. So thus, that's our title 
tonight. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 15 from verse 1 through 10. 1 through 10. And our outline tonight is this. We're going to basically, basically see three things. Number one, the Pharisee's jab. Number two, the shepherd's joy. And number three, the woman's joy. So let's begin here. Rejoice when the lost are found. But number one in our outline, the Pharisee's jab. The Pharisee's jab. Now, this is going to cover verses 1 and 2 if you're taking notes. And let's go ahead and take a look at both those verses. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. We'll stop there. Now we begin with the writer Luke talking about how Jesus was attracting tax collectors and sinners. You know what I like? The NLT puts it, uh, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. So they were drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to hear him speak, his messages, hear from God, basically. And I believe they're drawn to Jesus because of his love and kindness toward them. I think it was a refreshing difference from the Jewish religious leaders who we saw made that comment in verse 2. Now, tax collectors, they were pretty much hated though. They were the hated ones in the Jewish society. And back then, you see, tax collectors, they were not just like the local IRS agents, but they worked as the tax collectors for the enemy Rome. So these were Jewish guys now who were collecting taxes from their own Jewish brothers. And so people looked at them as traitors. So they were hated. And the Pharisees especially hated them because they considered them dishonest. And they were. They cheated people. They overcharged people taxes to just keep the difference of what they, they would give to Rome. And so they were pretty man, man, manipulating, deceiving kind of people. So no one liked them, especially the Pharisees, saw what they did. And so they really hated them. And the Pharisees also did not like the sinners. The tax collectors and the other people are the sinners. Well, they were basically all the ungodly in the Jewish society. I mean, you could think about they were robbers or criminals or thieves or prostitutes, etc. All, all that. They even uh, included the ones they really thought were pretty low were the sick, the diseased, the poor. They became the Touchables, and they are sinners in the way that they think is that they did not have the favor of God. So both groups of people were the outcasts, basically, were the bottom of Jewish society. So even though they were like that, these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were the ones they were the unexpected listeners who came to Jesus for they could see he really cared for them. And that's what I want to draw out here. I'm going to draw out their love in contrast to the Pharisees we're going to talk about in a moment. So the unexpected listeners, where you think it would be the religious leaders, these were the tax collectors and sinners, the low of the society, those who were considered unspiritual, unreligious. 
The unexpected li- listeners came to Jesus, for they could see he really cared for them. Now I think about Romans two four, and we know the verse where it says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But look, look at and listen how the NLT puts Romans two verse four. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from from your sin? I like that. Well, this is the love of Jesus coming out to these people, loving on them, caring for them, reaching out to them. And so these are the unexpected listeners who came because they could see that Jesus really, really cared for them. You know, in my process of coming to Jesus, he drew me really by his love. It was really by that. I I had this thing inside me. It was like this yearning to to know God, but I knew I was distant. And then a friend brought me to church and I heard a teaching of the word and it, it spoke to me. But it wasn't until the third visit that there was this strong like tug on my heart. And I, I can't explain it, but all I knew was it was Jesus. It was Jesus calling me. It was, it was, it was this tug, this heaviness on my heart. Like, like I just needed Jesus and he was drawing me in that way and all I wanted was Jesus and all I wanted to do was give my life to him and it was because I could feel that love I could feel that tugging I knew I needed him I think it was the same thing with these tax collectors with the spirit moving with God's love reaching out to these sinners these outcasts these untouchables of society the tax collectors that everyone rolled off and and pushed aside as traitors I think they felt the love of Jesus do you feel that too something in your heart almost almost like an ache yeah in your heart like I really need him. I, I really want him more and more. It, it, it's something I'm really des- desiring here. I, I need him. I, I need his forgiveness. I, I need his touch. I want, I want his love for me. You know, if that's what you find in your heart, then know this, that Jesus is reaching out to you. I don't know. I feel that in the worship. Do you guys? I feel this presence of God and like, like oh, I just want to be with God, right? That's his presence. That's his love. That's Jesus there. And how will you respond? Well, we go to Jesus. We draw near to him. And if you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart, accept him. Receive him. Give him your life. Believe in him and what he's done and dying on the cross and rising again. That he is Lord God and he wants you. He wants to forgive you. And all you need to do is open your heart to him. This is what these guys were feeling, I can imagine. And perhaps tonight, Jesus is reaching out to you right now. Well, verse 2, with all this that was going on with the tax collectors and sinners, it says in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They, they made a jab, basically, at Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now remember the Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders. I mean, you would think they'd be different, but they looked down upon tax collectors and sinners. The scribes were the experts in Jewish law. 
They were experts in the scriptures. You'd think they would see something different. But in their legalism, in their pride, and, you know, in all that they were all about, we've been talking about, they were blind to the needs of this, these people. They saw these people coming to Jesus and hanging with them. They, they looked at them, what? What? How can Jesus, he walks around like a rabbi, hang with these guys? And so they grumble. They take this jab and say, this man, yeah, Jesus, he receives. That means he welcomes even, even associating with the sinners. He's there. He's receiving them, hanging with them. And even, they add this at the end of verse 2, right? Even eats with them. I mean, how dare he defile himself with this despicable people? These Pharisees grumbled and put Jesus down for associating with basically the sinful, defiled ones, yeah? The castoffs of the society, unfavored by God because they're sinners. We know on many occasions in the Gospels, Jesus did eat with sinners, right? I mean, remember like back in Luke chapter 5, he was invited to the tax collector Levi's house. Remember Levi is actually Matthew, who became one of the disciples and wrote the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. He even went and ate there. And, and you remember the Pharisees grumbled there too about that. And why was that so bad to even eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Well, it's one thing, like the Pharisees would do, to pass them by on the street, not interact. It's one thing to talk about, talk to them, but to eat, to eat a meal, that was huge back then in the custom, in the society, because to share a meal means that you accept this person, that you identify with that person, that you're coming together with that person to become close to that person. See, remember when they ate their meal, they would have like sauces and bread and meats and they take it and dip it into the sauces and, and eat that, right? So when you take your meat and dip it into your sauce and eat that and they dip into that sauce, you know, um, hey, it's like you're sharing there. When you break your bread and pass it on and share it with others, it's like you're eating from the same loaf and then that's uniting your, you together with that uh, other person so that's why they even add here in verse 2 oh and eats with them like they're saying oh, i can't even believe that they're you jesus is uniting with them so what jesus did was super scandalous yet jesus did not come to condemn the sinners and tax collectors right but to save them remember when when he did have that meal with uh, Levi and the tax collectors there and all. He said in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 31, 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, right? That's those who think they are uh, with the Pharisees around, but sinners, those who know they are sinners to repentance. So how sad that those religious leaders who should reflect the heart of God, how sad that they didn't, that they didn't. So we see this, the unexpected jab from the Pharisees and scribes only reveals their unloving heart. 
Warren Wiersbe said, It is significant that Jesus attracted sinners while the Pharisees repelled them. I thought that was good. They were attracted to Jesus, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders who should have been representing God, only was pushing them away. I hope we don't fall into that kind of legalism and coldness. I pray that even our church would be a hospital for sinners, right? Not a museum for saints. We've heard that term before. Sadly, though, that kind of thing has happened uh, through the years and many years after the time of Jesus and the early church. In 1786, William Carey was moved in his heart to go out into the world and reach the lost for Jesus. He would, he would every day, he would pray that people in the world would be saved. He actually had a, a, a map of the world on the wall of his house, and he just every day he would pray. So with this burden on his heart, he approached his church leadership about going to uh, a foreign country and sharing Jesus and, and reaching the lost there in a foreign country. Sadly, the leadership shot him down. And you know what they said? They told him, sit down, young man. If God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. Crazy, yeah, crazy. Sadly, these crusty old guys were acting really more like caretakers, right, of a museum. But William Carey didn't listen to that. He followed what Jesus did, and he went to India. He ended up ministering there for 41 years, taught, reached out to the people. He established 100 schools, translated the Bible into 34 languages, and, and actually there in India printed the first newspaper. Today, William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. You see, no one was going out into missions, not like today, into other countries. The churches became caretakers of a museum rather than a hospital for sinners. Which heart do we want to have, right? These crusty old you know, leaders of the church or William Carey? I want to be like William Carey. And I think he was following Jesus and reaching the tax collectors and sinners, bringing them to salvation. So these religious leaders didn't care about lost sinners, but Jesus does. And you know what? He wants to teach the Pharisees that they should be the ones who actually rejoice when the lost are found. So we see the Pharisees' jab. Let's go to number two, the shepherd's joy. The shepherd's joy. Here we're going to cover verses three through seven in this second section. But first of all, look at verse three and four. So he told them this parable. What, what, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. We'll stop right there. Now Jesus, right, he goes right into a parable here. Right after the grumbling and all, he just goes right into this parable. And this is an analogy, really, this parable, to help the Pharisees see 
Because they are so unfair, you see. There you see, yeah. With their legalism and everything. I want you to take note here. Just as Jesus cared for the tax collectors and the sinners, you know what? He equally cared for these hard-hearted Pharisees. With, with these parables, two parables we're going to see tonight, he, he's really reaching out to them. Yeah. And, and this is God, even, even with these crazy, unfair UCs, you know, guys. These guys who should have known better because they're the religious leaders. They're the priests. They're supposed to represent God. Jesus still was reaching out to them. You know why? Because Jesus loves the sinner no matter how bad the sin. So he gives this parable of a lost sheep. When a shepherd who has a hundred sheep lost one of them. Uh, one sheep went astray. So he tells the Pharisees, then won't the shepherd then leave the 99? And of course, he'll leave the 99 with assistant, you know, shepherd and someone else. And then go search for the lost sheep. Not just leave the sheep. Oh, well, I got 99 more. It's okay. What's one, right? He's, he doesn't do that. But he goes and searches for the lost sheep and doesn't stop until he finds that sheep. Now, as he's telling this parable, everyone knows that this is typical of, of every good shepherd back then. That's what they're going to do. You know why? Because the sheep are helpless without the shepherd. Sheep, they can't take care of themselves. The sheep, they don't have any defense mechanisms. You know, they don't have like horns or, you know, uh, nothing, claws or anything. They, they, they're, they're just very easily taken by and eaten by wolves. And the sheep are very directionally challenged. They don't have any direction instincts at all. That's why they can go astray and get lost so easily. So they need a shepherd. So the shepherd knows this. So even with this one sheep, even if he has 99, that many, I mean, think about Jesus using the word 99. Most of the shepherds back then maybe had 15 or so, you know. And even with the 15, if one goes, they're going to still go after that. I mean, it's, it's precious. The sheep is precious. It's valuable to him. But think about if he had 99. I mean, here Jesus is making it a lot. I mean, easily the shepherd could say, well, uh, it's all right. <laughs> you know, uh, we got to feed the wolves anyway. No, <laughs> no. Even the one, the shepherd goes out because he, he cares for that sheep and he's going to go for that sheep because he know it's vital for him to find that sheep. All right, verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So here the shepherd goes out, he finds his sheep. And then notice First of all, in verse 5, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders and it says rejoicing. Basically, he takes the sheep, puts it you know, across his, the back of his neck. So uh, his maybe front legs is here, his back legs are here. And then he's carrying it home like this. Right? He's carrying this sheep home on his shoulders. They say generally one sheep weighs about 70 pounds. So it's not light here. It's, it's pretty heavy, this sheep. But he 
carries the sheep. Notice that. It says in verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders. Yeah? He puts it on his shoulders. He takes the burden off the sheep's feet and he puts it on him and carries the sheep. He doesn't drag the sheep home by one leg, right? You know, he's not upset, but it says here he's rejoicing that he found the sheep. He's not upset the sheep went astray. He's not grumbling that the sheep went astray. He's not condemning the sheep, but he's rejoicing. He's full of joy. He's full of, full of excitement. Yeah. He, even if he puts it on his shoulders, he's not grumbling. Right? Oh, you, I can't believe you. You did it again. You went out again. You went astray again. And look, I got to leave everybody. I got to come out way out here to find you. No. He's happy to find the sheep. And so when he gets back home, what's he do? He calls everybody in town, his friends, his neighbors, saying, Hey, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He, they, they put together this impromptu celebration, basically, when he comes home with the sheep, celebrating with joy that the lost sheep, the one who went astray, is back home. Now look at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus saying, hey, just so I tell you, just, uh, just let me let you know, let me explain in the same way, you guys, when one sinner who repents, right? When one of these tax collectors, even one of them, when one of these sinners, Pharisees, that you look at as sinners, when they repent, just one, all heaven is filled with even more joy than the 99 righteous persons who needed no repentance. Like they haven't strayed from God. I mean, that's a good thing. That's good too. Right? And that brings joy too. But there's more joy when one who did go astray, and even just one, there's more joy for one sinner who repents. You know, the word repent means to literally change your mind. But it speaks about doing a 180, a U-turn, not going down the same direction or the same path, but going the opposite direction. Not leaving God, but going back to God and heading toward God. Not running away from Jesus, but running to Jesus. That's the idea. It's the idea is putting behind you your sins, repenting, saying, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to run to God and do what He wants. So here Jesus is saying, you know, even if one of these guys do that, one tax collector, one sinner, you guys see, one, one thief, one criminal, you know, heaven rejoices. And you know what? You can see here Jesus is the shepherd, right? That went after that one. Jesus is the one who would eat with sinners and tax collectors because he, that's him going after them, going to rescue them, going to help them and bring them back to where they should be. And with that, heaven is full of joy. And he's saying, right now, 
for those who repented of their sins. So Jesus is like, you Pharisees, shouldn't you rejoice also? If heaven is filled with joy, and with more joy even, that sinners are repenting, right? You feel good that you're okay. And you look down upon the people there, and you're happy that you're okay. You say, no, you should have more joy. That's good, that's good, you know, uh, if you're doing well with God. But there's more joy when one sinner repents. John Milton said, Repentance is the golden key that opens the palace of eternity. I like that. I really like that. That's the key. That's the ticket. That's what's important is repentance. And so that's, a, that's what heaven rejoices at. Notice, Jesus doesn't deny that these guys are sinners, right? He doesn't deny that. He doesn't say, oh, they're okay, you know. But even with the word repentance says they are sinners, right? For sure. He knows that. But he does acknowledge that repentance. The loss have been found been brought back into the fold of God. And that is something to be happy about. That is something to be joyful about. A soul, think about that. this, that is turned away from sin back to God. That is huge. So here's the point here. The repentant heart of one sinner brings about a celebration of joy in heaven. You know, I was thinking if there's joy in heaven, who else is in heaven? God, right? And I would say God the Father is happy too. One night, I remember I was driving the boys home when they were small from a visit at someone's house. I had a meeting there, and um, after, I think Christian was doing something, so I took them with me and had them. It was a short meeting. I had them like, play in a corner or something, and then... Um, on the way home, though, I had to scold them because they were misbehaving <laughs> there when uh, embarrassing too, but misbehaving. And, and so on the way home, you know, I scolded them. I said, you know what, we need to pray right now and you need to ask for forgiveness from God and, you know, confess your sins and repent like that. Well, they did. As usual, they did those things as we, we were always doing with them. Well, after they said, Amen. Justin, my oldest son, said, Dad, I feel better. And I thought, oh, well, good. You know, <laughs> you're learning. You know, you go to God and the, the, that, that heaviness and weight of guilt is lifted off, you know, when you truly find forgiveness from God. And I felt like it really showed that he was sorry and that he really repented. And I'll tell you what, as a dad, that made me feel really good. Yeah, Jared did too. He was he was good too, but um, Justin was a more vocal. But you know, for both of them to do that, it just warmed my heart. Right? Well, think about God. Think about those His sheep that has strayed away, yet has returned. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes it's hard for us to to return to God. Sometimes we, we, we do feel that condemnation, and yeah, that's right, you didn't do that. We feel that guilt. But sometimes that condemnation, uh, we, we tend to let our mind roll into thinking, oh, God doesn't want me around. God doesn't like me. I can't go to church. I can't, I can't go and pray. How can I open my Bible? 
But what is Jesus saying in this parable? Even if you're the only one, everyone else is good. And even if you're, you know, sometimes you feel like that, don't you? I'm the only one that it is so bad, right? I'm, everyone else is so good and godly and God loves them, God favors them. But me, no, I, I keep messing up. But look at this parable. Jesus is saying, if one goes astray, guess who's out there? Jesus. Guess who's trying to reach that person? Jesus. Why? To drag him back home? I can't believe you. Can you imagine the sheep being dragged down the, down the path? No. Picks him up. Jesus picks us up. Carries us. Yeah? Helps us, strengthens us. Even when we fall, he comes, he picks us up. He forgives us and he rejoices that you're coming back home to him. That's God's heart. That's what Jesus is portraying here. Not like the Pharisee. Sometimes I think we think God is this Pharisee, but he's not. He's like the shepherd that we're reading here in this parable. You want to bless God's heart? You want all heaven to celebrate on your behalf? You want to make God real happy? Repent. Repent and come back to God. All right, so rejoice when the lost are found. This is what Jesus is putting out. Um, And this is because of the Pharisees' jab. So he gives the shepherds joy, that parable. Well, he gives another parable because this is really important. And here we come to number three. The woman's joy. The woman's joy. And we're, this will cover verses 8 through 10, our last verses for tonight. Look at verse 8 and 9. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So let's stop here. Okay, so Jesus doesn't just stop there. He keeps going. As a matter of fact, next week, he's going to go on with a very famous right, uh, parable of the prodigal son. We'll get to that next time. But this is what he's leading up to. He's trying to drive the point home. He's trying to underline this. He's trying to help us tonight to put into our hearts and minds what God is like, what is in, in his heart. So he doesn't stop here, but he gives this parable. And perhaps maybe for the Pharisees, this parable might hit a little more like home in their heart because, you know, they're into their money, right? And this woman loses a silver coin. Well, perhaps maybe that's why he did that. But this woman had 10 silver coins and she loses one. What does she do? Uh, It's okay, I got nine others. No, she's going to go for that and look for that silver coin. A coin here is drachma. And just one silver coin is equal to one day's wage. So it's, it's pretty valuable there. But even more so, when a woman got married back then, she was given a headband. And on the headband was ten silver coins on it. It was, it was a symbol of their marriage, kind of like a ring kind of type of thing, sort of like that. But it was also 
like this dowry. It was, it was, it was for their marriage. It was, it was for their life. But even more so, it was like a savings plan for later on you, when the couple gets old. You, you can think of it as like the Roth IRA, you know, I, IRA, yeah, I, IRA there. It, it was something like that, the 401k kind of thing for in the ancient times. So if you think about it, without banks or retirement accounts and investment accounts, things like that, this held both sentimental value and monetary value. So it's very, very important. So even losing one was something to go and look for. So you can understand why she diligently kept looking. She lit a lamp. She swept the house. She went into every corner, right, to find this coin. She turns a whole house upside down looking for this precious, precious coin. And then when she finds it, what does she do? Well, like the shepherd, she calls together friends and neighbors. She has a big celebration. Say, rejoice with me. And they all understand why that's important, right? This is, this is the 401k. This is what? This is important for you. You know, and, and they didn't have a lot of money back then. And so she says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. The woman's all-out effort to find that coin reflects what God does for the loss of Israel. Jesus was willing to go all the way into a sinner's house, to a tax collector's house, to eat with them, to sit with them. He didn't care what, what the Pharisees thought or what people would think. Remember, most of Jewish society hated the tax collectors. He didn't care. He reached out to them, and that's how far God will go. You know, in Genesis 3, 8, after Adam and Eve sinned, and they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Do you remember what they did? They hid, right? They, were, they felt so guilty. They went and hid themselves from the presence of God. They, don't, they, they, they thought, oh, no, no, we can't. We can't face him. We can't see him. But in verse 9 in Genesis 3, it says, The Lord God called out and said, Where are you? I mean, God knew. Right where they were. And God, God knew what had happened. But he still went out to seek them, to find them, and to call to them, where are you? In other words, where are you? Let me come to you. Where are you? Come to me. God basically pursued them, and God went after them. How amazing is that? And so this is the shepherd, this is the woman even, doing everything she can, everything she can, tear apart her house, right? Nothing stopping her until she finds that coin. And so Jesus says, verse 10, similar to the shepherd, what he said about the shepherd, he says, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God, uh, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So like the shepherd, there's joy with all the angels of God when just one sinner repents, one tax collector, one sinner. Heaven's rejoicing. Pharisees, why aren't you? Pharisees, why aren't you going after the sinners? Why aren't you turning every rock to bring them back into uh, the fold? To help them not be sinners anymore rather than looking from a distance shooing them away, you know, making putting up fences and saying stay away. 
Jesus underlines the fact, and this is the kingdom reality. And our last point is this. When just one sinner repents and gives their life to Jesus, all the angels in heaven rejoice. I mean, it, it really is just like what we saw with the shepherd. I, I just kind of reworded it, and I felt like really bringing in the idea of someone giving their life to Jesus. So when just one sinner repents, returns to God, gives their life to Jesus, all the angels in heaven rejoice. Isn't that amazing to think? Yeah. I'm sure you heard that phrase before. Uh, every time I read this passage, there's an old song in my head that r- runs, you know, all the angels in heaven rejoice whenever there's a soul saved. And I, I think that that's what it's about. That someone's eternity has been changed from hell to heaven. No wonder heaven will rejoice. That someone who strayed away from God is now back. No wonder heaven rejoice. No wonder the angels, they knowing the truth of God and His love and what Jesus has done, even they are rejoicing. Knowing the issues, yeah, of what sin does. Knowing how it condemns man to death. And they rejoice. I think that's amazing. You know, the... Um, Harvest Crusade, where Pastor Greg Laurie is going to be on next month, I believe. I think with um, California Open, they're actually going to do a crusade. And um, uh, I, I love to watch that. It always touches my heart, you know, to see hearts uh, come to Jesus and thousands and thousands of people. Can you imagine on the night of that crusades or that weekend, you know, usually they do a three or four night crusades and um, I think numbers before were up in the, like thousands, like even 10,000, 9,000 one, one year. Now, if Jesus is saying if one sinner repents and the angels in heaven rejoice and have joy, think about thousands, 9,000. Think about what kind of celebration that is in heaven. And let me say this. If that is what brings joy to heaven. And it does to me whenever, you know, I watch the crusades or whenever someone receives Jesus or I get have the privilege of praying with someone, that brings me joy, yeah. And if you have, you know what I mean, right? And if if that has heaven rejoicing, shouldn't we be focused on that more? Reaching the lost coin, reaching the lost sheep. I feel like today joy is being stolen away from believers because the coin they're after isn't that lost person, but it's other things. It's other things we get passionate for. It's other things that we put everything aside and do. And it it could be even uh, uh, a relationship, it could even be a career. It could even be, you know, in, in this day and age, we're into the news or we're into oh, what protests or into uh, uh, what side to take. And we're more passionate about that than rather reaching people for Jesus. 
I think we have to be careful and understand where Jesus was. Yeah? Where Jesus was. Be careful as we come to a close that you have not lost your passion for Jesus. We need to get back to what really matters. In this crazy day we live in, in in our crazy life, in the busyness, we need to get back to what really matters, and that's Jesus. It's Jesus. I want to close with this. A, A man who is drunk with beer stumbles into a water baptism service one Sunday afternoon at the river. He walks past everybody, right into the water. He walked past the line and everything. He walks right into the, the water, uh, goes waist deep, goes right up to the old country preacher standing there. Everyone, of course, is a bit shocked, but the pastor just turns to him and says, Mr., are you ready to find Jesus? He can tell where this guy is at being drunk, right? So the drunk looks at him and replies, Yes, preacher, I sure am. So the pastor grabs the top of the man's coat and dunks the guy all the way under the water. Then he pulls the man right back up and asks, Have you found Jesus? No, I didn't, said the drunk. So the pastor, still holding to the top of his coat, dunks the man down again, right back under the water, and pulls him up again. Have you found Jesus? No, I haven't, preacher, replied the man. So the old preacher this time takes the man down once again, dunking him into the water, but this time holds him down just a little bit longer. (laughs) Bringing the man up again with a little irritation in his voice, the pastor says, Man, haven't you found Jesus yet? And the drunk wipes his eyes and replies, Preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? Well, Jesus was never lost. But we can get lost from our Creator. But know this, God does not give up on His people and He'll keep seeking to bring you back. So let's respond to His love. Let's respond when we've lost our way, lost our direction. And He's coming to us. He's calling us. Let's respond and then be found. And then, you know what? Those who love you and all of heaven will rejoice when you are found. Because they always rejoice when the lost are found. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you don't give up on us. Thank you that you are that shepherd that goes after us. And then when you find us, God, you don't drag us back home, but you pick us up. You lovingly carry us, Lord. You compassionately, Lord, take care of us. You you rejoice that we who have been lost are found. And like the woman who did everything she can, turned her house upside down to find a coin, that's what you do. God, nothing, nothing stops you, Lord. Anything we do, But thank you, Lord, you are persistent. Even like when Adam and Eve are hiding, sometimes we hide, but God, you're still there. 
you still show up. You're still coming and wondering, where are you when you fully know what we've done? God, thank you that you know us through and through. Before we were born, you knew us. You formed us, God. And I was thinking this morning, Lord, in my prayers with you, how even even though you knew me before I was born and you knew you knew what I was going to do, the sins that I would commit, you still love me. And you still continue to love me. God, how amazing is that? God, we do want you. We do need you right now. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's hurting, overwhelmed with condemnation, anyone who feels the tug on his heart, that they will receive Jesus, that they would return to Jesus, that they would see Jesus with his loving arms open, waiting, desiring. God, thank you that your word is true and what we see is true. No matter what we may feel, no matter what we may think, no matter what we may have experienced with quote-unquote other Pharisees that have been in our lives, what we're reading here today is true. And Jesus does love you and love me. So God, here we are. We want to be close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.